You guys, I am so psyched to be back with another episode of Wonder Woman Wednesdays. I'm your host, Stan the Man, and every month I take a look at an episode of the classic Linda Carter TV series with the help of a guest Wonder Woman cosplayer. And this month we have the amazing Envy the Green Fairy. Her cosplay game is astonishing with several variations of Wonder Woman often mashed up with another hero or fandom archetype. You will love her observations and her cosplay story. So, let's get started with this episode of Wonder Woman Wednesdays. Wonder Woman must use her strength and intelligence against a mercenary who plans to unleash explosions and a man-made earthquake when he steals the Pluto file. And that is the episode we're talking about today with Envy the Green Fairy cosplay or Mia. How's it going? Good. Good afternoon. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, the Pluto file. That was. Um, it was fascinating, exciting and thrilling all at the same time. Yes. And a throwback to my childhood. It's yeah. been a while since I've seen since I've watched season one. So that was fun. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting. When I think of uh, Wonder Woman, I usually think of the first season, but there's only a handful of episodes in the first season. Like they do yeah. the full for, yeah. for season two and three. They have, you know, 23, 24 episodes. But I think there's only like 14 in the first season. Yeah. 13 or 14. Yeah. And it's like it's it's we're almost like we're over halfway through it, I think, or maybe close to it. Yeah, we're about halfway yeah. through. So. Anyway, before we jump into it, uh, Mia, why don't you uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I grew up in the 70s and I watched Linda Carter when I was a kid and thought she was awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if I dressed up as her as a child, probably, but who knows? Mom made a lot of my costumes when I was a kid, which translated into me making costumes and me <laughs> going to fashion design school. And now I just make costumes and go to Comic-Con. And that's oh. my thing. But um, I love Wonder Woman. My house is called the House of Wonder. There's Wonder Woman decorations in every room of the house, except for the guest room because of my mom. But that will probably change, running out of wall space. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, I love Wonder Woman. I love making costumes. I love making children of all ages smile. And it's just, you know, it's my thing. Is this a full-time job for you? Cosplay? Oh, no. No, no, I I have a day job. That you got I the go day to. job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I work in the apparel industry, actually. I work for Meyer Corporate Headquarters. Oh, I'm cool. a technical designer, and I work in the children's clothing department, and I love it. Okay. So. And uh, I was going to save this question until later, but I'm curious about your name, Envy the Green Fairy. What is that? Um. <laughs> well, let's see. Um. Way back when, I don't know, like, when did I come up with that? Like. 10 12 13 years ago i don't remember i was going to a halloween party and i my budget was really tight everyone's like what are you gonna do what are you gonna do and i'm like i'm gonna be green and they're like okay and it just kind of i was sitting in the car it was really cold and my ex-husband was gonna be barfed that year and he was putting his ears on <laughs> he was really tall so i was waiting for him before we went out and i'm like envy the green fairy and it popped in my head and it stuck so awesome that way i 
I have a range of characters I can do. I'm not just calling myself, you know, Michigan Wonder Woman or West Michigan Wonder Woman or whatever, because that yeah. I do more than just Wonder Woman. So uh, cool. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into our episode. Uh, the very exciting Pluto file starring the incomparable Robert Reed as our guest star, uh, <laughs> Mike Brady himself. Uh, that was just, I mean, he did a lot of this. He did a lot of sort of anti-Mike Brady stuff after the Brady Bunch, but it was still really trippy to see him uh, doing this character. Oh, I know. I mean, it, he was mean. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like, I mean, I grew up watching the Brady Bunch and it was just like, oh yeah, like it, it threw me. And it's not yeah. like I haven't seen it before or seen him in other things. It's just yeah. sort of funny. Yeah. Yeah. And it was wonderful. So, so, um, so right at the top of the episode, of course we get the credits and, um, you know, I, in I was talking with, uh, I think the last person I interviewed about uh, how long the credit sequence is, you know, the theme song is, it just seems like longer than most other shows. And that's come up a couple of times. And I realized that it's because they put all the credits in there. Like, you know, a lot of shows they'll play the, um, uh, the theme song and they'll have, a, you know, a few of the major credits, but then the credits that are specific to the show, like who directed and wrote this episode, who are the guest stars that comes in during the first scene. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, that's definitely the way it's done now. I don't know how old that is, but um, I think um, this is a little unusual that all those credits happen in the theme song sequence. So uh, maybe that's why it seems like a long theme song. Yeah, I mean, you know? kind of. And I love the theme song. It's the doorbell at my house. Is it? <laughs> yeah, I have a programmable doorbell. So the oh. theme song is my doorbell. That is awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, that that kind of that kind of makes every visit a happy one, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> um, okay, so so during the credits, uh, we find out the director is Herb Wallerstein, and uh, his his um his directing credits are not uh, on IMDb aren't particularly uh, you know anything out of the ordinary. He did a lot of uh, TV directing and he directed five Wonder Woman episodes. Uh, the Feminine Mystique, uh, Pluto File, Formula 407, and then one in season two called I Do, I Do, which I can't remember off the top of my head what that is. I so, can't remember either. Somebody must get married. <laughs> I, I'm thinking, and it, I mean, I watched these all during COVID, like the early part of COVID, and then I haven't revisited. Mm -hmm. So, you know, well, a we'll lot have of to... things have happened. I know. Now <laughs> I got to know. I, I'm going to have to watch that later this afternoon. <laughs> um, now, the writer, the writer is, uh, I found his credits really interesting because he's only written five episodes of television, like for five different shows. And they're all, so they're all one-offs. You know, he wrote one episode for five different shows. His name is Herb Berman. And he's, he's listed more as a lyricist and a screenwriter and actor. Um, although he hasn't written a lot of movies either. He's, he co-wrote a 1967 debut album called Safe as Milk for Captain Beefheart and his magic band, which is like the hip, the most hippie sounding thing 
I've heard in a very long time. <laughs> like yeah. that's, that's so incredibly hippie. And his first episode of television, which was for a show called the psychiatrist. Uh, he, he won a writer's guild of America award for, for outstanding teleplay. Um, oh. The director of that episode, by the way, of the psychiatrist was Steven Spielberg. And so that, and that was oh. early in his career too. So yeah, interesting background on our writer. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was a well-written episode. Yeah. In fact, it was very sciencey. Lots yeah. of science, lots of science in this episode. And if you think about it, um, the way things happen kind of can correlate to what we just went through a couple of years ago. This yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You mean with all the, the plague and everything? Yeah, the bluebonic plague. Just yeah. Insert coronavirus and <laughs> be kind of the same thing. Yeah. And it was interesting. Some some people took precautions and some did not. Yeah. And, and they paid for it. Yeah. So, so, um, so that those were the credits. And of course, you know, you see that Robert Reed is going to be the Falcon um, right away. And uh, we all know he's Mike Brady from the Brady Bunch, but uh, uh, he was in a couple of really cool um, miniseries like Rich Man, Poor Man and Roots um, and, and TV movies that are memorable, like Nightmare in Bantam County and, Boy in the Plastic Bubble and oh Death, yeah yeah with John Travolta I remember and, that yeah that was a wild movie um, also Death of a Centerfold with Jamie Lee Curtis oh um, I think I've seen that too yeah now that was that was a cinematic movie um, later I forget who played Dorothy Stratton in the cinematic version but. Uh, I I I can't remember, but yeah, I've seen it. On, I came across it on cable, probably in the middle of the night one time. Yeah. <laughs> um. So so that kicks us off, um. And our first scene is uh in a testing area. It says a secret testing area in Maryland, and we see some explosions, right? And right away we see uh another guest star, Hayden Rourke, as uh Professor Warren. And he, of course, uh, he is Dr. Bellows from I Dream of Jeannie. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Did you? <laughs> I was like, who is this dude? <laughs> yeah. And he's he's he did a, you know, just like Robert Reed. He did a ton of TV stuff after he did uh, I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah. Um, and one of them was uh, he was in The Legend of Lizzie Borden, which starred Elizabeth Montgomery, who was in Bewitched. Which was sort of the counterpoint of, or, or the the counterpart of, uh, of uh, I Dream of Jeannie. I don't know. I love that too. Yeah, I don't know which came first. I think Bewitched maybe came first. I, I, Hard to say. Yeah, I you know, I, my brain cells for the memory is not quite what it used to be. <laughs> I, I definitely hear that. I am with you. So so um, Hayden Rourke, the professor, like he lays out uh, what. The, the Pluto project is. And that's basically, he's, he's a seismologist and obviously he dabbles in other science as we find out later in the episode, but, but he's basically a seismologist and he has figured out how to move to tectonic plates with small explosions, even in an area that doesn't normally have tectonic activity and what he's doing. So what he's doing with his, with his pal, uh, I, for, I forget the other scientist's name, uh, Charles Benson. Yes. Um, 
so they're they're doing these small explosions and and S- Steve Trevor and the general are like oh cool explosions and and so and then he explains the technology and then there's he's like see look and then they do more explosions and they're not really you know and he's saying the tectonic plates are moving you can't really detect it but trust me they're moving see watch and then there's more explosions and he just he keeps, just keeps blowing stuff up because i think he likes it <laughs> And so, and so then he says that his goal, his, his, his end goal is not to learn how to cause earthquakes, but how to stop them. Right. Right. And, and then he does a list um, of like uh, earthquakes that he, through his seismology, seismic uh, studies, uh, he's predicting these earthquakes. Right. And right. the trick is that, you know, it takes place in 1942. So for him, these are future earthquakes, but in 76 we know that they happened already right so he says chile in 46 panama in 58 california 1971 alaska 1972 and china 1976 right he lists all these mm-hmm. earthquakes that that the producers of wonder woman know about but right. in 42 they didn't know about them but they added one to the list right hawaii in 1981 yeah and they were just guessing yeah. Like, and nobody's, they didn't think anybody was going to wait around to find out if they were right. Um, but what's interesting is that there was an earthquake in 83 in Hawaii. Oh. And, and cons- the one before that was in 75. And, but the next one after it was in 2006. So 81 was actually a pretty good guess. Yeah, so. that's funny. I was going to Google that and I forgot. I got distracted, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I had to Google it because I was like, did, did they guess right? And, yeah. and I didn't realize um, this this um, episode uh, was broadcast in uh, December 25 of 76. So they would have had time to to know about this China 1976 um, earthquake. It happened in um, Tangshan in july of that year so it would have been pretty recent for the writers so anyway wow so obviously dr bellows knows a lot about earthquakes right so so anyway he says his goal is to prevent them right so he's hoping to prevent all these future earthquakes right um that's that's the end game but obviously as we find out in the episode and one of the first things that Steve says after in the next scene or in two scenes later, he, he tells Diana, this could be a wonderful uh, weapon in the war. Like he immediately thinks let's cause some earthquakes with this technology. So, you know, Steve is, he's a soldier first, right? Yeah. <laughs> so and she is not, <laughs> she is not. No wonder woman does not approve. She's like, if this were developed some sometime other than wartime, it would be a great, a great preventative. That's what she says. Yes. Um, but in the meantime, uh, at LaGuardia, we see Robert Reed come off the plane with his sweetheart, his his lady, his current lady, Camilla, and um the the um the customs agent is like, uh, you know, I've got a little note to detain you. And and he makes a fuss about it. He's like, of course, you know. Well, I'm a very important person, and you should not detain me. Uh, and he tells his girlfriend to, you know, call the consulate and tell them to make a big fuss, a very big, a very fuss. big fuss. 
And he's very, very, very British. Yes, even in this terrible war, New York can be a very lovely and romantic place. Hmm. Just remember, you promised to show me all of it. Ah, but patience, my darling, patience. I have a very special week planned for us. Mr. Fallon, I'm sorry, but I've been asked to detain you. Detain me? Why, I'm traveling on a neutral passport. Yes, I know, and I'm sorry, but I have my orders. Ah, yes. Orders. Oh, sure. What could they want with you? Ah, don't worry, darling. Will you follow me, please? One moment, please. Darling, will you ring up the Irish legation? Ask for Kevin Doyle. He's chief of protocol. And be sure to tell him that I would appreciate it if some fuss were made. In fact, a very large fuss. He's awesome. I mean, like, uh, this is uh, Robert Reed just chewing the scenery from the get-go. So it's uh, it is is completely not Mike Brady. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then later at the War Department, um, the general tells Steve, uh, after Steve tells Diana about the cool explosions, um, the general says, uh, a big spy, well, not really a spy, a mercenary, I guess, uh, a mercenary named the Falcon is on the loose. He's He's just landed at LaGuardia and they were unable to detain him and they pull his file. And apparently he was in in India uh, two weeks ago and engineered some kind of kidnapping. Mm -hmm. So, so they know that and they know that he's around and they don't know why. Um, So then we cut to uh, uh, some scientific Institute lab, right? Uh, Where Dr. Bellows is working on something. And I'm just going to call him Dr. Bellows. Uh, even though I, f- I forget the professor's name, even Hayden I works professor, but um, <laughs> I like Dr. Bellows <laughs> works for me. Um, so, uh, so Robert Reed uh, changes, uh, but before you see him disappear into this, uh, you know, he sneaks into this uh, lab and uh, you, you see his, um, his belt buckle and it's a Falcon. So, you know, the Falcon they were talking about clearly is Robert Reed as if we didn't know. Right. And also in the seventies, belt buckles were definitely a thing. Oh yes, they were. <laughs> <laughs> so of course the Falcon had to have a cool belt buckle that looks like a Falcon head. So he sneaks into the, um, uh, the storage room and he comes out as like, I guess an orderly, or, I mean, he's a soldier. They're all, everybody there is military, but uh, he's got a little apron on. So, you know, clearly he works in the mess hall or something. Yeah. And so he brings, uh, he brings some food to the, to the lab and he talks to the guard outside the lab. And I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, I watched it for like maybe the third time today and realized that there was a boom shadow, like right, right above them. And the 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 thing about boom shadows is like I almost never notice them because if they don't move, they're just part of you know they right. look like part of the scene. But whoever was operating the boom was like slowly lowering it to to get a better <laughs> get a better take on their on their voices because it just kept slowly moving down. Um, I missed that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. And, and the thing is, Robert Reed, uh, you know, explains to the guard that he's got some food for the for the Steak professor. Dinner. Steak dinner, steak and fries and some coffee. And he uses an American accent. But I have to credit him. If you listen to it, 
it sounds like a British guy imitating an American. Like it, it sounds because like if you watch Monty Python or, you know, some of these other <laughs> British shows where they, yeah. they do Americans occasionally, there's something just a little bit off about the way they do it. What have we got there? Oh, steak, French fries and coffee. Steak. <laughs> I haven't tasted steak in two months. Yeah, neither have I. Yeah, too bad we're not more important to the war effort. <laughs> I think you can go on in now. I thought that was just great. Like it that was because it, it did not sound like Mike Brady. Mike Brady, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like it was like it was his voice, but it wasn't. Like he still had that. Yeah, yeah. That totally sums it up. <laughs> that was cool. Um, so he goes in, talks to Doctor Bellows, and right away, um, he he basically reveals himself because his first his first thought, even though he pulls a gun on him, so he pulls a gun on the professor, right? Yeah, and. But but he offers him a bribe. He's like, give me the Pluto file and you can have a million dollars or a bunch of rubies, whatever you want. Because uh, he did just get some rubies from his kidnapping job in, uh, in, in India. India. And, um, and he says, I don't, I don't know if you're a, a fan of Austin Powers, but he says, one million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, you did not just say that. Um, but of course, Dr. Bellows is a man of principle and he will not be bought. So, uh, so a fight ensues and there's some, there's a great sort of Star Trek style stunt fight between the, uh, you know, the guard comes in and he fights, uh, Robert Reed and in our, in our new sort of Blu-ray, you know, high def TVs, you can see it's definitely not Robert Reed. It's someone with a very different mustache. (laughs) <laughs> doing the fight for him uh but it's a cool fight and um he manages to uh overcome the guard um in the meantime the professor gets the um picks up the phone and dials someone um and uh robert reed comes up and chokes him you know chokes the breath out of him and hangs up the phone and then an alarm goes off and so he has time, we find out later, to grab the Pluto file and just get out of there. So he got what he came for. Yeah. And he was inconvenienced with a fight, but he didn't have to pay for it. So that's good. Yeah. So, so uh, gosh, what happens next? Uh, oh, so so Steve, you know, Steve gets there to the lab and there's all this mess there. And they realize that um, the Pluto file is gone, uh, but they don't know that it's the, the Falcon. And it took me a while to figure this out that there's nothing that indicates right away that it's the Falcon because they only know that he's in the States. They don't know what he's right. up to. Right. Um, so later they they kind of figure it out. But um oh, and and they and we find out that the guard has been taken to Walter Reed, which becomes important later. And so then right. they show the Falcon meeting uh this contact, this very eager guy named Frank, who, you know, brings him a sniper rifle mm-hmm. and and Robert Reed as the Falcon does some dazzling. Exactly. Like he's definitely shoots... not a stormtrooper. <laughs> he is not a stormtrooper. He hit every eggplant and every cantaloupe on that bridge. Yes. They obviously they laid that out very neatly. He's like, uh, you're my new contact. Bring me a sniper rifle and three cantaloupes and three eggplants. Cause I'm going to show you some shit. <laughs> and then he shoots him off from like, I don't know, 50 or 60 feet. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. 
and and his and his new buddy Frank is very impressed and very happy to be working with him. He's like the Falcon. You're you're famous, you know. Yeah, just, he was fanboying hard over he, him. He was. He was. Robert Reed was a little nervous about it. He's like, yes, yes, yes. I am famous. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so we find out later at Steve's office that um, uh, Camilla, his girlfriend that he that he brought in, uh, now has the plague. She's in New York, um, and they've they've got her in the hospital with the plague, and the guard. Uh, who was fighting the intruder uh, as yet unknown um, is in the isolation ward at the hospital. Something's wrong with him. So Steve decides they should go to the hospital and check things out. Right. And Mm -hmm. so they go to the hospital and they run into uh, Dr. Barnes, who's played by Kenneth Tigar. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Tiger Tigar, T-I-G-A-R. But I recognize this guy and probably most people do because he's one of those characters, character actors that has been in everything and he's still working. Um, Let me see what I wrote down. I didn't, I didn't write down all his credits, which I probably should have, but Oh, I did. Okay. Well, not all of them, but, (laughs) but like, (laughs) but recently he's been in uh, the marvelous uh, Mrs. Maisel, um, which is, a, I love a show that show. Yeah, it's. Uh, I hear it's awesome. I should say I was about to, you know, be effervescent about it, but I actually haven't seen it yet. But it's, I want to see it. It's so fun and ridiculous, and yeah, there's some seriously bad parenting going on. But you know, hey, it's fun, <laughs> and the clothes are fabulous, which is more of a girl thing <clears throat> in most cases. But it's mm-hmm. it's a fun show. It's a really fun show. Oh, very cool. Well, I do want to check it out. Yeah. Um, and he was also in uh, The Good Fight and Dope Sick. Um, so those are some recent credits. He was um, he was a regular in a show called L.A. Heat, which I, I did not see. Um, and I specifically remember him. He's He's been in an episode of Barney Miller uh, every season, just about, except the first season. He was wow. in every season of Barney Miller as a different character, although one of his characters, uh, Kopechny, did show up twice in like the second season and the f- fifth or sixth season once as a werewolf and once as a guy <laughs> who was possessed. So if you remember the werewolf guy from Barney Miller, that's, uh, that's okay. this Kenneth Tigar. I do not remember that episode. I mean, I watched Barney Miller. T- I mean, you know, I grew up in the seventies. I was mm-hmm. born in 1970. I watched all that stuff, but I do not remember a werewolf in Bernie Miller. That's kind of, now I have to watch that too. I have to find that streaming. Somewhere. Yes. Yes. It's, it's actually a great episode and this guy is terrific. Um, and I'm so glad that he's, he's still working. He's still. Yeah. Doing. I mean, cause he's probably no spring chicken in right. either. So. Right. <laughs> right. Um, because he's playing, you know, an experienced doctor here. So he's gotta be, I don't know, in his thirties, maybe late twenties uh-huh. at the, at the, at the youngest. Um, but he says, he tells Steve um, that the symptoms look like the bubonic plague, right? The and so, plague? The plague? <laughs> the plague, you say. And 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 Steve mentions that uh, Camilla in New York uh, has the plague. And, and then the doctor mentions offhandedly, uh, you know, the plague does still happen. We, we had a case come up uh, two weeks ago in India. And, and you can see Diana immediately get it. Like, 
hey, wait a minute. <laughs> we yeah. were just talking about India. Yep. And, and like she does, she waits a little bit and then she tells Steve, hey, Steve, do you think that this might have something to do with uh, India? I mean, the uh, the Falcon was just there. Yeah. And so, you know, she puts something together and then kind of hands it to Steve uh, so that, you know, he can sort of think it at least think it's his idea or at least, you know, I don't know, just just be part of the game. Just keep, yeah. keep him involved. <laughs> so the professor somehow didn't get the plague, but uh, but he is, you know, he did get beat up a little bit. So he's resting. Yes. And Diana's like, oh, well, then I want to go talk to him. Um and so she goes to question him, but uh, the doctor says, well, let me inoculate you guys, right? And so um, in the next scene, just so they can skip the inoculation, they have Diana sort of rubbing her arm as she's walking to the uh, um, to the professor's room. And I, I want to say, look, it's Wonder Woman. The inoculation is not going to hurt. But I understand you're like telling the story like, oh, I just got an inoculation. But then I remember that in the show... When she's not Wonder Woman, when she's Diana, she's just human. And and she's got all those human weaknesses. I mean, she's still intelligent. She's still, you know, she's fierce, but she's she's got human weaknesses. So so yeah. maybe her inoculation hurt. I don't know what it feels like to get a bubonic plague inoculation. So we'll just may... say it's the same thing as COVID shots, because quite frankly, I had a really horrible reaction and they hurt really oh. bad. Did you even even when I was dressed as Wonder Woman? Did you did you got you got inoculated dressed as Wonder Woman? Full Linda Carter, and I got a shot from um, a Air Force medic. Wow, that, that just so happened. Cool. Yeah, like I walked in, and the U.S. the Air Force medic team was there doing inoculations that day, and I'm like, nice. <laughs> <laughs> that is very cool. Yeah. Did you get a picture? Duh. <laughs> <laughs> I got several pictures. And of course, you know, me being me, I had Wonder Woman band-aids also. Oh, very cool. <laughs> All right. So um, so Diana does go into the professor's room. Um, however, he's sleeping. And and she takes the opportunity to deliver this really sweet monologue. You have discovered the hope of the ancients. Since time began, man has sought that knowledge, the knowledge to still the earth's tremors or to cause them to quake with the energy of the sun. It's really cool. It's a cool little monologue. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. I, I love when they, because they've done these in a couple of episodes now where she just gets to stop and say something super cool, yeah. you know, which, you know, reminds you that, that she's Princess Diana, you know, she's not just yeah. Diana Prince. Yeah. So, um, but then in the meantime, of course, uh, the Falcon is in the building across the way and he's putting his sniper rifle together because he doesn't want any loose ends, right? He wants to get rid of the professor. Right. And so she glances up and it's weird because uh, the angle that she's sitting at and the angle that the sniper sees the professor, you can tell she's not at an angle where she can see him through the window, but somehow she sees him. And uh, 
I was just talking to Mike Pingle, who wrote this cue guide to Wonder Woman. And, and he says this in the book. He says she's just looking through the wall. She must have the power to look through walls. And it never comes up again. And they didn't make a big deal out of it in the episode. So I don't know if they were saying that she was looking through the wall. But she, hmm. but they didn't really show the angle where she could see clearly through the window either. See, I was thinking it was just insane hearing like she could hear wow. someone like hear the gun click like it, it wow. didn't put together that was more my thought well that makes Cause sense it to, yeah because it's like you know because it always seems like she can hear everything before everybody else yeah like yeah, even in like the have... current stuff and it's like you know and a, and a gun click or putting together a gun is a very distinctive sound and it would stand out to her because She's not so used to guns, having grown up in Themyscira. The metal clanking sounds would be yeah. a foreign sound that would pique her hearing. Like, what's what's going on? You know, and that's then, it. And then that, twirl. <laughs> and then and then she does the twirl, and she's like, boom, she's ready. And mm-hmm. sure enough, she blocks the shot as soon as she's turned into Wonder Woman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was awesome. So that explains that. Um, And then there's a great little stunt sequence where um, the Falcon repels down his, uh, you know, wherever he was, he was up on top of a building and Wonder Woman jumps through the window and, and out the window into the courtyard. And that I thought was a great stunt. I had to play it twice. Yeah. Cause like she didn't, she didn't bother opening that window. She just jumped right through it. Well, I mean, you know, there was already a hole in the window from the bullet. So, oh, well, that's a good point. So, somebody's going to have to replace it anyway. So, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, she just, you know, jumps through. And if you look really closely, you can see the stunt double has flat shoes on, and then it pans back to her, and she's got her little heels on. Oh, I did not notice that. I've noticed the- that in a few episodes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you have an eye for that stuff, right? And, and so I was going to ask you. Uh, just as a general question, what do you think of this uh, season one costume? I like season two much better. <laughs> yeah. I, um, so I, cause the very first Wonder Woman costume I actually ever made was the Linda Carter one. And mm-hmm. I did a season two version. Um, the differences between season two and season three are very, very minute. And it's mostly just the bracers. The tier I think was slightly different, but um, the season one is like, so granny panty and it's like it's just so big and i also because i did a lot of research because that's what crazy cosplayers do she you know she started working out and running between season one and season two just to be more fit for the show and the way they did the season two where they cut the legs up a little bit more it was actually easier for her to move around it Oh, and stuff. Okay. And I mean, yeah, you're still running in a strapless top, which isn't the easiest thing. Cause trust me, I've tried it, <laughs> <laughs> but um, they just, I just, and I didn't like how the, the trim they used to make the gold part on her bodice in season one is very, it's kind of like low grade costume. They really upgraded her costume to look a little bit more cool and less, a little less homemadey because they, it's gold rickrack. I mean, the stuff they used in season one, it's like, you can just get that at a fabric store. Like, they realized yeah. that this was going to be a thing, and they had to do a much better costume. And there's beading and everything on season two and three, which, 
yeah, that was that was not a fun part of making that costume beading because, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> beading needles are just as sharp on the back end as they are in the front, basically. So you know, <laughs> wow. I had duct tape all over my fingers, beat hand beading and the stuff on it. But it's just they just upgraded her costume to make it look a little bit more like it came from someplace else other than, you know, like grandma made it, which yeah. I hate saying that. But I mean, costumes back in the 70s were definitely a little different than superhero movies we see of today so yeah yeah so in the next scene it's the next day and we're at some midtown hotel and i i don't i i'm having trouble figuring out where they are they've got to be still in the dc maryland area yeah but midtown i guess that sounds like new york to me but but it must be midtown dc that must be yeah i mean i I don't think they were quite as specific on the locations in the first season as they were in the second and third season, they're like Midtown. Like, I don't, yeah. yeah, Like that doesn't sound like DC to me either, but it's been years since I've been there. So. Right. Right. Um, So, so the Falcon and his fanboy Frank are there and, and we suddenly realize the third man in the room is uh, Benson, who is the professor's assistant. And so he's a traitor. He's a spy. He's a Fink. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So he's working with the Falcon and that's, that's how the Falcon knew where to go and what to do. And there's a little exposition here. Basically they're, they're talking about their plan to use the Pluto project technology to cause a fault around um, this reactor in Maryland. And when they do that, the reactor, I don't know if they reveal this in this scene or later, but, um, cause it took me a while, actually, I'll be honest. I'm not, I'm not always quick on the uptake. It took me until this third watching to figure out exactly what the plan was because it's a little bit complicated. Like they're stealing the technology to cause an earthquake to disrupt a nuclear reactor that will then explode. And then it'll take out all of Washington, DC. And that's the plan. Yeah. Which is uh, a dastardly plan. I guess. Very dastardly plan, but (laughs) making it look like it could have maybe have been a natural occurrence that caused that explosion. So they don't know who to blame. Exactly. That's exactly right. Except that Wonder Woman's already on to him. Oh, yeah. Wonder Woman's already on the case. So this is no accident. So, <laughs> so Diana, we're back at the war office. Diana gets a call confirming that the guard has plague. So they know that there's a there's a trail of plague victims from India to New York to the guard. That's the Falcon. So now they know the Falcon's the guy that stole the uh, the Pluto file. And so they're going to go at, talk to the professor to get a description. And and then di- out of nowhere. And this this is another another instance of Diana sort of feeding some information to Steve, but somehow Diana figures out there's got to be a person on the inside. Maybe we should recheck Benson's alibi. Like she picks Benson out almost out of nowhere, but you know she's she's Diana. Well, yes, <laughs> she has so good intuition. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she can. She doesn't need that lasso all the time. She can tell yeah. when people are lying. Yes. 
So, um, so they're like, yeah, let's talk to the professor. And so um, back at the lab, the professor, who, by the way, has fully recovered. He looks great. He's just sitting there on his arm like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about this guy. <laughs> he seems he seems in good spirits, actually. Yeah. Um, so and in the meantime, Benson's in the background hacking up a lung because now he's got now he's got bubonic plague and uh and so the falcon describes or i'm sorry the the professor describes the falcon and some of the wording a striking athletic man tall distinguished blue eyes gentlemanly it's as though he's fallen in love with him i think <laughs> did he seem physically healthy Oh, yes, he was an athletic man, striking, really. Uh, we were standing several feet apart. Well, he was tall and distinguished with intelligent steel-blue eyes. But, in fact, there was something very gentlemanly about him. Gentlemanly? He nearly strangled you, Professor. Well, that's the point. It's so difficult to explain. But still, there was something. No, not honorable. Maybe professional is the word I'm looking for. Well, he certainly knew what he was looking for. He must have thought that he had really strengthened me. Well, you know, I mean, yes, I, that was definitely kind of a feel, but it was just like, it also reminded me of someone trying to describe James Bond, but yeah. he didn't have blue eyes. Cause I, I grew up watching James Bond movies too. Cause my dad wanted to be James Bond. So right on, like, yeah. very distinguished. Cause another, you know, British secret agent kind of thing. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's just that flair. It's just so funny. That's that's what it made me think of when I watched it. <laughs> awesome. Well, that that was not lost. That flair was not lost on the professor. Oh. We definitely saw it. So so he gives this this somewhat effervescent description of uh of uh the Falcon. And Diana leaves uh to go get a car for Benson. So they're gonna take him to the hospital. And yes. Benson's like, oh no, no. Uh, I'll, I'll see my family doctor and Steve pushes on it and, and kind of reveals that they suspect Benson. And so Benson pulls a gun, like immediately he panics, you know, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, Oh my gosh. So he pulls a gun and, and he runs outside. Um, He first, he knocks on the door and gets the guard to come in. He pushes mm -hmm. the guard in. Oh, and he makes the professor give him the key to the special right. security lock. Right. Yeah, makes a point of saying that that it's the only key uh, for this security lock. So he pushes the the guard in and and locks the door. Mm -hmm. Now later on, because I'll forget to mention this, but later, later on, uh, the Falcon opens the special security lock with a straw. Like he he picks it open later on in in like the last scene when he comes back. Yeah, spoiler alert, he's coming back. And he uses like a coffee straw to. That's to, what that was. It yeah. was. It, that's what it looked like to me. It was like a yeah. black, and you could see the hollow end on it. So it was. It was like a straw, and he just stuck it in this lock and fiddled with it, and <laughs> he opened it. So yeah. Either we need to talk to the prop department, or the Falcon is just a brilliant uh, lock picker. Probably the same. I'm gonna go with a little bit of both. Okay. You know, every lock I've seen picked more recently, you got to have two things, you know, one to hold it up and one to tweak. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a two-handed job, yeah. but not for the Falcon. Apparently not. <laughs> or, or not when you're dealing with this special security lock that 
was made by a couple of goofballs in a lab. I don't know. Um, so, so Diana's outside and she sees Benson running for it. She pulls up the car and there goes Benson with a gun and she's like, yeah. Oh, something's up. So she spins into wonder woman and lassos him. And, uh, and before he can, she's like, okay, now you have to tell the truth. And he's like, okay. And then he passes out. So he doesn't really tell her anything. He confirms that he's working with the Falcon and that's it. Yeah. Then he passes out. So her lasso did her no good, unfortunately. Um, so yeah. he passes out and uh, they don't know where the Falcon is and it's time for another commercial. So, so later outside the lab, uh oh yeah so after the commercial break it's basically the same scene except it's a few minutes later the ambulance takes benson away um and wonder woman and steve say the falcon must have the plague <laughs> uh as if it hasn't become obvious yeah it, it seems apparent that the falcon has the plague he must be a carrier um so then we see the falcon on the road with fanboy frank and they're having like a married person fight about not enough gas in the car. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and, and the guy's like, it's not my fault. There's rationing. So, you know, uh, Falcon's like, okay, pull over. And they pull over into this gas station. It's a small town gas station. And, and they, I, I know, I know why they do it. I mean, you find out later why they do it, but there's this weird scene where fanboy Frank is like, you know, gets a water hose and fills up the radiator. And it seems like a really long, boring sequence. And then he takes the hose and, uh, you know, wets a kerchief and wipes his face and then drinks out of the hose. And it seems like, well, why are we watching Frank dealing? <laughs> it's like, it's an episode of Frank and his hose. <laughs> why are we watching that? Yeah. <laughs> but there's a reason. And so yes. after they pull away, after they get their two gallons of ration gas, um, the the kid that works there then drinks from the hose. Mm -hmm. And then we know, uh-oh. Because because we have seen Frank now starting to cough. Right. And so that little kid that works at the gas station has just gotten himself a, a hose full of the plague. Oops. Yep. So, so, um, so they drive off, uh, and then they, they get to this installation, some kind of military installation. It's really just the front driveway. He's because Falcon says a few miles down that road is a reactor. That's our target. And so, and so this, I guess this is where we hear the second part of that plan. Like the, it's a reactor and the earthquake's going to cause it to explode. So. Because, you know, I mean, they have a, a whole episode here to to feed us this information. They don't want right. to give it to us all at once, right? Oh, of course. You yeah. got to fill that time slot. <laughs> so um, so in Washington, Diana gets a call that somehow this kid, maybe he's got a high metabolism, but he's immediately stricken with the plague after drinking from that hose, right? Right. So he's already in the hospital. They've already taken him to Walter Reed and... Uh, and they find out, so so they now know where the F Falcon was earlier that day. He was in Bladensburg, Maryland. Uh, and Steve says, oh, it just so happens that I'm going to go meet the uh, general at an installation in Bladensburg. 
maybe I can go talk to him about this uh, Falcon guy. I'm sure it has nothing to do with this installation, but let's go see. So, <laughs> um, so, uh, but first they stop at Walter Reed and they talk to now this kid, this kid's name is Robin. I, I only mentioned this because I had to, you know, I had to like write down who was in what and the credits mm-hmm. and everything. And for some reason, and they say it, they say it, you know, um, Diana says it, it's a young man named Robin so-and-so. And then when they get there to, to his hospital room, Steve calls him Bobby. And I'm like, excuse me, sir. Did, did he give you permission to call him Bobby? Like maybe you assume that that's his nickname. Maybe every Robin is a Bobby to you, but that doesn't mean that he's going to, you know, answer to the name Bobby. So let's have some decorum. Ask him what he prefers to be called. <laughs> of course, he's lying there sick. So he, you know, he can only say so much. Yeah, I I didn't catch that. <laughs> I just thought it was weird. Like That is I mean, a little weird. Like why establish that his name is Robin and then call him Bobby for the rest of the scene? Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah, we're not in the Brady and it, Bunch. And it caused, yeah, <laughs> that's right. He was just having a flashback. Oh, no, wait, that was Robert Reed. I know. I know. <laughs> this is Steve. But anyway, um, it's it was it caused me to like, I'm like, I'm looking at the credits going, where's Bobby? There's no Bobby in the credits. What's going on? Uh, but it was Robert. Yeah. Uh, once I mentally straightened that out for myself, uh, I could I could continue and um, they don't get much from young Bobby. In fact, they really don't get anything from him. It was two guys in a car. One was athletic looking. I don't know how he got that from because uh, Robert Reed never got up from his seat. And and they were driving a coupe. And that's all he knew. And so basically, he's told them nothing. I don't know why they had the scene. Just, just so he could call him Bobby, I guess. Yes. So, so, um, so then they go in, they have a scene at the gate, I guess, just to tell us there's really tight security because he makes a comment to Diana, boy, there's really a lot of security here. This is the last checkpoint, right? Like, it sounds like he's had to do five checkpoints before that. Right. right. Tell me this is the last checkpoint, please. So, um, they finally get to the control room at this reactor and Diana, Steve, and the general put together that since the Falcons in the area, obviously this installation has something to do with his plan. And Steve's like, but what could it be? What happens here? And then we find out from the general, this reactor is an offshoot of the, uh, the Manhattan project, which is also timely for us right now because uh, Oppenheimer Oppenheimer. just came out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but this is like, uh, a little junior facility, uh, sort of side project. Like, it's not Oppenheimer. It's Oppenheimer's third assistant decided to run this little side project. And it's just, it's a reactor. I mean, basically, it's like a baby nuclear uh, mm-hmm. energy facility. Yeah. They're they're building bas- what what's, appears to be the first reactor, um, the precursor to, I guess, you know, a nuclear power plant. Yeah. Um, that seems to be what they're doing. Um, but if there's an earthquake, that place is gonna go up like a like a bomb. 
Right. Is the implication. So they figure out that is the Falcon's plan. So the Falcon and fanboy Frank are planning bombs outside, and Frank is loving it. <laughs> this is like his favorite part, aside from just fanboying the Falcon. Right. Bur- burying dynamite is like his second favorite thing in the world, I think. <laughs> and they're doing such a good job. It's what is it like six inches into the ground? <laughs> I mean, I like, how is that going to hit a tectonic plate? Yeah, that doesn't seem like the most. <laughs> effective depth to get to (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean he's doing it by hand right and yeah he doesn't have a shovel or anything yeah he's got a little pliers to i guess to uh, i don't know to to cut a wire or something that starts the countdown or whatever he even he kissed one of the 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 last bomb he kissed it (laughs) it's like carrying it to to bury it it's like i love these bombs i love this dynamite i just love it so, so anyway, um, so so from here on in, it's not really separate scenes anymore. Like everything is sort of happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. It sort of flashes from outside to the nuclear reactor and then eventually back to the professor's lab. Mm-hmm. So um, the doctor uh, describes just how destructive the, the nuclear reactor is going to be if it blows up and and it seems it's weird because it seems to freak diana out and and i don't know if she is truly freaked out about i mean probably because she's freaked out about like the destructive power of the war you know stuff like that bothers her or maybe she had a burst of intuition but she seems genuinely like i gotta get out of here like i've got to go outside yeah and and Steve's like, huh, uh, don't be scared, Diana. And she's like, no, it's just a reaction to the vaccine or whatever. But she seems like kind of freaked out. Yeah, like something's not right. Yeah. So she goes outside, turns into Wonder Woman mm-hmm. and starts looking around. And the bombs, the the little dynamite bombs start going off. And she, <laughs> she flinches like she absolutely did not expect that. And she forgets that she's like a, a goddess because yeah. she just like completely flinches like, oh, my God, it's a bomb. Yeah. But it does go off like right behind her. So but anyway, so these little bombs start going off and there's like three in succession. Right. And I mm-hmm. I have to assume there are more because if they're suggesting that the Pluto technology means that you can set off three badly buried bombs on a road about 12 feet apart from each other. And that's going to start an earthquake. I I question that. I, yeah, I, I I do not accept that uh, part of the the story. I know. I mean, come on. We saw Armageddon. They had to drill all halfway through the meteorite to put the bomb in there to blow that one in half on its fault line. Exactly. And they needed a drill team who knew what they were doing. Exactly. Not digging by hand. <laughs> So, so there had to be other explosions, but yeah. we'll just take that. Uh, uh, we'll we'll take that assumption. There were other explosions. They all go off, and so they start the earthquakes, right? And they're like this. Oh yeah, they do. So yeah, they do the Star Trek shaky thing, like for every <laughs> every shake time. Shake the camera. Shake yeah. the camera. They shake the camera, and people are on set like shaking things, like oh, different. So like later on in the office, you can see this coat rack just like teetering. And, you know, uh, file drawer drawers are opening. 
but basically they're just shaking the camera and you know steve grabs a wall and (laughs) so so the the earthquakes start to happen and and the idea is that they're going to keep escalating like it's not just going to be suddenly there's an earthquake Mm -hmm. there's going to be like these fault lines are going to start uh shifting and so it's going to get worse and worse over a period of eight hours and so, and we hear that from the Falcon who's in right. the car with fanboy Frank. And he's like, and, and Frank's so excited. He's like, we did it. This is awesome. Let's go have a beer. And and the Falcon's like, no, no, no. Uh, we've got eight hours. It could still be stopped by one person who knows how to stop it. The professor. I left him alive and that was a mistake. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Uh, and I'm not using his awesome British accent. The tremors will progress with increasing force over the next eight hours. There isn't anything anyone can do about it. In point of fact, Frank, you're wrong. There is one person who might be able to stop it. America's foremost seismologist, Professor Warren. He discovered how to induce an earthquake. He may figure out how to stop one. What are you going to do? What I intended to do originally before Wonder Woman interfered. Eliminate Professor Warren. So so he decides to go back and... uh, and take care of the professor. Um, and by coincidence, um, Wonder Woman goes to see the professor too. And I don't want to say this is a plot hole, but what we're saying is Diana completely disappears from the nuclear reactor. And in the meantime, Wonder Woman has gone to help the professor and nobody thinks that's weird that Diana has disappeared. Well, cause they're, cause they know Diana went outside because she was feeling overwhelmed by her inoculation effects. And mm-hmm. they just figured she was outside getting fresh air. And then they have to figure out in the building how to stop a nuclear reaction. And that is a distracting thought. They might forget yes. about Diana at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 what I'm kind of thinking about. They're like kind of sidestep. They're like, oh, you know, I will check s- on Diana. Yeah, I will say that Steve and the general are both a little freaked out because, like, they're just like, well, shut down the reactor, and the the yeah. guy's like, well, we can't, we can't just shut it down. And he's like, yeah. and the general goes, I'm ordering you, and the guy says, well, I can't. <laughs> it's like it's like a science thing. We can't do it. <laughs> I'm calling the president. Yes, the president, does. and so. And so eventually the president gets some action out of these guys. They figure out a way to, that's never been tested, but they're going to try to start cooling down the reactor. Yeah. And Diana does math. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she does this whole goodwill hunting thing when she gets to the the professor, right? He's like, by the way, that's the way he likes to do his science. He like, he like writes all this stuff on the chalkboard and talks to himself while he's doing it. And he's like, now, the integral between the limits of x1 and x2 equals, let me see, the harmonic equation equals, uh, um, let's see, Hooke's laws, the law of harmonic motion. You know, the seismic harmonic, you know, he just starts, I guess, using scientific jargon, or is it gibberish? We don't know. 
It's I I I personally don't know. I don't know anything I have about no science. Idea. Yeah, I'm not that smart when it comes to science. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know who is Wonder Woman? Yes, she's like I remember this from school, and she and she starts writing shit on the the board, and and he's like, my gosh, you're a genius. You're this is brilliant. Yeah, and, and so she's right there with him, right? Like they're gonna figure this out together, and I guess what they're gonna try to figure out is how to reduce because the 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 earthquakes are getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. until eight hours later it's going to be a massive quake and so what they have to figure out is how to reduce the quakes and jumping ahead it's never clear that they figure that out like the solution that um the doctor comes up with, has nothing to do with the quakes. It has to do with the reactor. And I I guess we should just talk about that. We're jumping ahead a little bit. Uh, there's various things that happen, but um, the Falcon gets back in there and he can't, he tries to overcome the professor and Wonder Woman, but there's a quake. And so she's able to lasso him, right? Yeah. And he's and he's got plague symptoms and he says, get me some water. And the the professor gets him water and he goes, that's it. They all they have to do is use water instead of their cooling solution, and the core will cool down. And uh, first of all, he's not. He says he says I'm not a nuclear scientist, and so and this project, by the way, is a top secret project that he he can't possibly know anything about. He doesn't know how the reactor works. I don't think maybe maybe Wonder Woman told him, but yeah. she doesn't really know either. <laughs> But anyway, and plus they're supposed to figure out like how to reduce the quakes, not how to help with the reactor. But but that's the answer he comes up with. This is the part where I remember that the guy who wrote this also wrote something called Safe as Milk for Captain Beefheart and His Magic Band. (laughs) And I do not want to disparage Herb Berman, but I question this this turn of events because because what right before the falcon comes in diana does some more goodwill hunting right and she and she goes take this chunk of of chalk right here and this chunk of chalk writing and substitute them in the equation for a and k and and the professor goes that's it and so it is true that at that moment They've figured out what must be the answer to reducing the earthquakes, but it's just in the form of an equation on a chalkboard. Like they have to go do something to make it happen. Right. Right. But they never do. (laughs) They just, he says, they're going to cool down the reactor and, and the, the quakes are going to peak at 4.8 and then they'll diminish. Right. And yeah, because they'll start diminishing, but they were more concerned about, the reactor turning into a bomb. Yeah. 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 It, yeah, that just, yeah. That was a little plot hole loop. I wow. feel like I've been left behind by, by Herb Berman at this moment, <sighs> but I think I, I, to, I mean, to just to give them the benefit of the doubt, it is possible that now that they figured out that equation on the chalkboard, it's going to be an easy matter to do whatever it is they need to do to implement that. And in the meantime, as long as the reactor cools, 
everything's cool. But but they're leaving a thing that needs to be done yeah. off camera yeah. after the fact. So they really are. <laughs> I like I just kind of missed that because you're like, yay, they figured out how to stop the reactor from going off. Right. Wow. Yeah. And that's okay. that's fine. You know, that's half the problem. And the the you know, that's the critical problem is the the reactor going off. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's what's gonna blow up everybody in Washington, DC. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I should have watched it three times as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so we kind of jumped to the end there. I just want to look at my notes because I have to tell you, one of the coolest things in this episode is Robert Reed sliding down that ladder. Like when he's when he's when he's infiltrating the place, uh, he slides down this ladder. It's only like five feet, but it's still really super cool. And oh yeah, he did it himself. You know, he they didn't get a stunt person to do it. Oh, and so speaking of stunt people, there's another stunt that I wanted to talk about when okay. Diana's coming back into the uh, uh, the lab. Mm-hmm. Um. Because what what we've glossed over is that she was there to help the professor and the um, the Falcon and 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 fanboy Frank uh, figured out how to get in. Frank mm-hmm. causes a distraction, right. right? And and then that's when the Falcon sneaks in. So right. So Wonder Woman was outside briefly to to bust Frank, right? Um, and that's when the Falcon got in. So when she's coming back in, mm-hmm. um, she does this thing where. Stunt woman, Wonder Woman, jumps through a window from a second story, right? And Mm -hmm. lands behind a crate. And then Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, walks out from behind that crate. And it's all one shot, uninterrupted, unedited, because of the way they staged it. And they've done this before in like the second episode, I think. Um, and it's a great, it's a, I, I only remember cause of the podcast, cause we talked about it Okay. about how cool the stunt is because she was coming, she was in Germany somewhere and I, she mm-hmm. was after Fausta, I think. And, mm-hmm. um, oh, and, yeah. and she jumps over a wall behind a shed. And so the stunt woman is the one that jumps over the wall behind the shed. And then Linda Carter walks out from behind the shed. And it's the same thing where they don't have to cut it or edit it. It's just all one shot. And so I love when they find a way to do stuff like that, it's really cool. Yeah. So, because then, you know, you can like keep, because the camera's moving, which, you know, so at the time they didn't have like computers, like George Lucas developed this technology where you could have a moving camera and add effects as it's moving. And so um, they certainly didn't have that. And they're, so they're able to move the camera and close up on Linda Carter as she's walking out from behind the thing. So anyway, I love that. Yeah, um, that's it's really cool. Oh, and I I don't want to poke fun at uh who well I've talked about our play our not our playwright our screenwriter, and but <laughs> Linda Carter says she's comforting the professor because he's like giving up, mm-hmm. and she says, "Listen, integral calculus is always problematical. Integral calculus is always problematical." And I just think that's a really wonderful line. I don't know if it's grammatically correct. I don't know even what it means, but it's it Math is, awesome. is hard. Math is hard. 
that's what it means math is hard <laughs> oh my god yeah that's just like yeah that's um that's what that means i don't know yeah that was really funny i just i love her purity and like you know her humanity and her just wanting to solve everything as nice as possible and how that still remains. That's one of the reasons why I love her character so much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And she never once thinks that they can't solve their problem. Exactly. You know, she gets in there and she's like, come on, man, grab some coffee and let's figure this out. Yeah. (laughs) Cause caffeine helps solve everything. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I did think about that. Like with his dinner, he had coffee. And I I mean, I guess he stays up late, you know, writing on the chalkboard and doing equations because he's going to be up if he's having coffee with his dinner. Yeah. So that is more or less the episode. They have their obligatory end scene where everybody's in the office and they're like, well, everybody's everybody that had the plague is getting better. Everybody that needed to get arrested has been arrested. Yeah. They're all cool. And. Diana, you know, says, well, I hope, you know, I hope uh, the Falcon learns his lesson. Maybe he can, maybe he can, you know, join us here on the good side or something like that. And, and Steve says, you know, that's just the kind of positive thinking that Wonder Woman would have. And Diana's like, I'm glad you and Wonder Woman approve. And she gives the big smile yep. and freeze frame on the smile. And that's it. <laughs> I never really thought the glasses did that much to hide the identity. no. No, but uh, we believe it because she believes it. Yes. I guess, you know, I have a harder time with that because I have blue hair. <laughs> it's a little bit more noticeable That's when I right. take my glasses off. It's like, hmm. I, hmm. When you I'm put on your glasses, person. you are the same person. <laughs> I'm the same person who has better vision. <laughs> <laughs> so just overall, what did you what did you think of the episode? It was fun. I really liked it. Um, besides the couple plot holes we just mentioned, but it was fun. It was engaging. It was campy. It was. It was. It was reminiscent of my childhood, which I also happen to like. But you know, it's just. It was good. I mean, I thought it was a fairly, fairly well thought out storyline. You know, besides the fact that people seem to instantaneously get the bubonic plague, but hey. You got to have a little bit of, you know, movie magic. In yeah. Stuff, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Like it was like they immediately started disintegrating like that kid, you know, drank from the hose. And the next thing he must have just like passed out from there. He's like, oh, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but hey, you sometimes have to have a little bit of imagination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, the thing is also, I mean. I, it wasn't clear how much time had passed during certain sections. So it is entirely possible that because it all, it all kind of seemed like, you know, this was taking place over the course of just a couple of days, but it could have been a couple of weeks. They could have been jumping, you know, between yeah. scenes, there could have been yeah. a little more time. It just never seemed that way. Right. Yeah. And also, nowadays we're used to stories moving on a different timeline like i used to watch 24 which oh, right. was, yeah. you know like every episode was an hour of the storyline and you know we're just we work on different timelines now than we did because our attention spans are not what they used to be yeah yeah that's so, true you know 
we would we would never we would never allow this scene where the uh, where fanboy Frank like opens the hood, opens the radiator, walks over to get the hose, comes back, yeah. waters the car, waters his handkerchief, waters himself, and yeah. then walks the hose back. Yeah, that that would have been like an eighth of the time in modern times, yeah. probably. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, it's just it's, it's just the storytelling is sped up a little bit nowadays, which, cause you know, you, like, you know, if you, if it's more than 30 minutes long, you might lose your captive audience. <laughs> yeah, so, you might. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, um, and I thought Linda Carter was great in this episode. I mean, it's interesting. She, she talked in, so do you have the Blu-ray set? No, I have the DVDs. Okay. Now that I, think um, about, I had to think about that. <laughs> so the, in the Blu-ray set, for the uh, the pilot episode, she does a commentary um, with Douglas Kramer, the the producer. Oh, okay, yeah. well, I got to buy that now. Yeah, it's fantastic. She did it. She did it back in two thousand eight, I think. So you know, there are some things that she doesn't know about, like you know, a movie. A movie happened. I I, I think they said something about up until the time that they're doing the commentary, nobody's ever done Wonder Woman. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, she talks about how um you know this is one of her first jobs and she's kind of new at it she did um she didn't mention it but she did take classes in new york for acting mm-hmm. um but she says in the commentary that at some point during the first season she started getting bad coaching from somebody oh. and and she wasn't happy with a couple of her performances because she was listening to this coaching from this unnamed person and I, I don't know. I haven't seen that happen yet. Like I thought her acting in this episode was as good as any other episode. Yeah, It was, you know, and like, like you said, she's got this, you know, real genuine quality and it's always there. And uh, her scenes with the professor. And it's interesting because Hayden Rourke, uh, you know, Dr. Bellows, he's got that same kind of vibe in this like he's always so positive about everything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know especially when he's talking about the falcon you know he's very very tall athletic handsome you know you know like even this guy that beat the crap out of him he's just a nice guy very professional (laughs) (laughs) yeah so like when they're working together in their goodwill hunting scene it's just very nice because they're both so positive so I yeah. so that was my I guess that was my favorite. I mean, I liked a lot of this episode, but that was my favorite part where because you can see I you know, I don't know anything about science. So I don't know if the stuff on the board was gibberish or if it was real science because you can see all of it. Yeah. And I would be interested to to ask like my brother's a bioscientist and I should have asked him while he was here cuz he was just visiting me uh to take a look at that. And tell, is that real or is it just a bunch of nonsense? Uh, Inquiring minds need to know. I think you got to <laughs> send up a screenshot and be like, is any of this even remotely real? Yeah. And she does a whole equation practically. Yeah. He, he says, give me, I, I even forget what he says. Give me the square root of something. And yeah. she's like, so she starts writing, you know, cosine squared and all this stuff. And she's like saying it as she's writing it. One woman, give me the square root of potential energy. Oh, of course. I was very good in school. Let's try E equals one half KA squared sine squared omega 
Extraordinary. Tea. Absolutely extraordinary. Oh, well, thank you. So if it's not real, that's that's bold. Yeah. That's, they're just putting that out there. We're just going to write gibberish on this and nobody's going to care. <laughs> so. Well, you know, back then, too, there weren't people who would sit there on their phone Googling it while they're <laughs> watching it, too. You know, like not as many people had easy access to that information if it was right or wrong to just prove it. Yeah. So um, let's talk about, you talked about your background a little bit, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you didn't necessarily dress as Wonder Woman when you were growing up. Um, did you watch the show? I did. I watched the show. Now, when I started watching it um, a handful of years ago again, because I hadn't seen it in years, I um, got a hold of some of the DVDs. I don't remember season two that much or season one. I don't remember the the Nazis as much, but I mean, because that came out in like 75, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. So, I mean, I would have been five years old. So, like, I can see where I was fuzzy, but I, rem- I remember a lot of season two and season three. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I saw every single episode because that was before we had VCRs. Right, right. <laughs> I'm like, wait, we have to get home so I can watch this, you know. But yeah. I, re- I really remember those episodes. And mm-hmm. I remember Wonder Woman. And I remember the skateboard scene and, you yeah. know, like all those fun ones. And. I just thought she was so cool. I always really liked her, but I wasn't like super into superheroes. I wasn't super into princesses. I wasn't like, you know, like I didn't want to be a princess or a superhero. I was kind of like wanting to be a kid and run around and climb trees and stuff. But, um, right, right. and just drink out of the hose in the backyard. Hopefully right. there wasn't the bluebonic play. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, like, I always love dressing up for Halloween and stuff. So I remember just making costumes and my mom making me and my brother costumes when I was a kid. But I do remember, you know, like there was always somewhere in there, there was always a cape at some point because capes are really awesome. And, you know, I know Edna Mold does not approve, but cape's still awesome because <laughs> I was I was actually at an event last night at um, a minor league baseball game and I had my big cape on and I'm just twirling around in it and the kids all loved it and stuff. So yeah. you know, make sure no one steps on me, but yeah, I just, I always, I always loved it and I always really liked her. But one of the real reasons I chose Wonder Woman to start doing her when I started cosplaying a number, I started cosplaying in 2012 and then did some other characters and I really wanted to do a superhero. Cause I'm like, just kind of had to do it. And I'm like, I wanted to do a character that my niece who was about five at the time would be proud to see her aunt in. Mm. And I hadn't discovered American dream at that point. Cause I was really starting to dive into my nerdy side. Uh-huh. And um, so I was just like wonder woman. Cause I always loved her. My niece thought that was super cool. And I now have um, 35 different wonder woman variations. Yeah. Let's talk about those because I, um, I, you know, I looked at, at your, uh, your Facebook and your Instagram. And so I didn't, I didn't do as deep a dive as I was planning on, but even just like, you know, the first out of the first 20 pictures that I saw, I saw like five different wonder women and like, there's one with like, um, horns. Are those like Loki horns or are they, uh, uh, do you recall horns coming out of the tiara? Am I, <laughs> am I crazy? Um, well, let me look. I mean, cause I just actually did a mashup of, um, Wonder Woman and Sailor Moon. So there was like the little weird, like, I saw thingy. that. Yeah, yeah. So I did that. 
did I do horns? Cause I've done, I've done hella stuff with, with hella with horns. So yeah. I mean, oh, maybe it was just a, a version of hella. Cause I've done a couple versions of hella also. I went to dragon con last year. So I had to make a bunch of crazy costumes oh, and okay. you know, I'm going again, making more crazy costumes. Oh, awesome. Not so much wonder woman this year. I got to mix it up once in a while. Right. My right. friends are like, can you do something else? Um, I think the horns must have been, I'm now I'm like looking at my Instagram. <laughs> oh, oh no. I did a samurai. I did a samurai wonder woman. It's got like a samurai head. Oh, okay. With, That's like, horn what it was. Things. Yeah. Okay. That was the one I made earlier this year. Um, I usually make one or two new ones a year, depending, uh-huh. you know, then I, and, and, you know, and, um, I mean, I've been making a lot of costumes, but I usually make at least one or two new Wonder Woman a year. So, wow. Yeah. And, you know, like it was great because like my Sailor Sailor Wonder Moon, I made all of that with stuff I had in the house, except for the little hair buns, because uh-huh. I didn't have any extra hair around. So I had to buy that stuff. And that was it. It was all scrap fabric laying around in my house. I'm like, cool. <laughs> I spend an awful lot of money on fabric. <laughs> <laughs> So, so so what are some of your favorite variations besides the ones we've we've talked about? Um it's kind of like picking a favorite child, but one of the <laughs> ones I really really do love is um a handful of years ago I did a steampunk Wonder Woman off of um variant cover art and I worked really hard on making that pattern and really working on it and it's just a really fun one. I don't wear it as much because it's a little bit more um I have a lot more cleavage in that. And I, when I do a lot of children's events, I try to keep that toned down, you know, cause right, you know, right. little kids <laughs> don't need to see that. And big kids <laughs> don't need to necessarily see that either. But, um, I, I love that costume and it just, there's so, there was so much fine detail work in that. And I really enjoyed it, but I mean, I love all of them and different levels, but it's, it's funny. Cause I have a very good friend of mine who rates costumes in two ways. There's a 10 foot costume and a 10 inch costume. So 10 foot looks great on camera, but not necessarily up close. Uh-huh. And so he's like, so I was, cause I made the golden Arbor from um, the 1984 movie. He's like, so I'm like, it's a 10 foot costume. He's like, Oh, okay. Cause my phone, I don't, I'm not that great at working with foam yet. I'm working on it slowly, uh-huh. but Cause he knows my foam work is one of my downsides. I can sew anything. I've been sewing since I was five years old. And if anyone has bothered to do math in this, that's a really long time. Um, <laughs> over 40 years. So, I mean, I can sew just about anything. So like yeah. all my sewing details, I was so proud of myself in that steampunk one, but my foam work mm, this still needs still needs some work so Mm -hmm. because most of my costumes i would call a 10 inch costume so Uh that's how i just like because i is like i'm not if i'm sewing you can look close at my stuff if i'm not sewing you just take a couple steps back Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's just it's so much fun and it just i just love seeing kids smile kids of all ages smile because they yeah yeah. It's just fun. And and because Wonder Woman is so recognizable by so many generations. It's, mm-hmm. it's always fun to go to an event and do that. And have, you know, have a five-year-old body slam you and hope you don't fall over. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's great because a five-year-old has no idea that I am really short for Wonder Woman. Because I'm only about, I'm 5'4 with my shoes on. So it's uh-huh. like, 
it's great because you know and then then the adults make jokes with me they're like yeah like you're a little I'm like yes i'm a short wonder woman it's okay no one no one needs to know <laughs> <laughs> so are there are there any particular like memories that you have like you you mentioned like a kid tackling you are, are there any things that happened that are memorable while you were cosplaying i remember um there's a few but like i remember this one day i was doing an event it, it was october and october is usually a really busy month between Halloween and breast cancer events. Right. And I was just like, I am so tired. Why am I at this event? And this little girl, she's, she was just past knee high on me uh-huh. and she comes up and she just hugs me. She's like, wonder woman. I love you. And I'm like, yeah, this is why I'm here. And it's just like, you know, and just to see people's faces light up, like just, I mean, I did um, me and some of my friends, we did a meet and greet for the Barbie opening uh-huh. and there was a girl um, she was special needs. I'm not sure, you know, I think she was, I think she was hearing impaired and she was in a wheelchair and she was with, I'm assuming her sister and her mom and maybe a cousin. Cause there's good sized little group of them. And she saw us, me and my girlfriends were all dressed up as different kinds of Barbies and she went bananas and, and we're like, oh, would you like to get a picture? And she's like, you know, she was so excited. And just to see that much excitement uh-huh. on a kid's face for meeting someone dressed up as Barbie or a superhero, because I've seen that with superheroes too. It's just like, it's heartwarming to know that just some kids had a had a great moment in their life because they got to see me and some of my friends dressed up. And it's yeah. like, you know, it's like, it's like we all say, like, just because we're older doesn't mean we grew up. Right. <laughs> still little kids and just little kids as little kids just running up and hugging me and like you know last night i was at you know a ball game and there was an older woman she's retired and she she was dressed in a full supergirl costume Mm -hmm. and she's like she came up to me later and she's like thank you so much for all that you're doing it's so great to see that you guys are out here interacting with everybody. And it just like, it meant so much to me. And I'm like in my head going life goals. Cause she had to be in her mid seventies. I would say, I hope, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to age her, but I'm like, I'm hope I'm still out there doing it when I'm her age. Cause she was in full costume at the ball game. Cause it was superhero night. I was like, awesome. Yes. You know, <laughs> like we make jokes that I'm going to be, you know, like, cosplaying until i'm 100 i mean like mm-hmm. i make jokes with my friends that i'm going to the afterlight in a wonder woman costume so you know <laughs> they're like which one i go it doesn't matter i can just pick one that fits you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's just like all these little moments of little kids or or even adults you know that's like oh like i remember this one time i was doing a, an event at the hospital we do this thing every month where we go out to the children's hospital and we wave flashlights at the kids in the hospital and they wave them back. And I just remember this one time I was doing it. We were, it was, it must've been March. I'm thinking February, March it was cold out. Mm-hmm. The weather was kind of gross. So we were all meeting in the parking structure across the street just to, you know, to like the last minute. Cause it was, it was cold. And a guy came in and saw me and he's like, wow, I wasn't expecting wonder woman to be here. And um, his wife had had surgery at the children's hospital because they needed a surgical suite that had an MRI because she had a brain tumor. And he was, you know, he just needed someone to talk to that wasn't a doctor. He'd been there all day. And he's like, he just gave me a big hug and was like, told us his story. And then some of my other superhero friends came and it just, it was such a great moment 
to share with someone else that wasn't a small child who was going through something. And, he, you know, we just gave him a big hug and wished him well and wished his wife well, because clearly he was going through a lot because, yeah. you know, this was eight o'clock at night. He'd been there since like six in the morning and um, she was doing really well. Mm-hmm. She she could talk. She knew who she was and she could move her toes. So awesome. like that was a big deal because, you know, brain tumor, you never know what's going to happen. And right. that was that was probably four or five years ago. And that moment has still stuck with me. And I, I think about them and I hope that she is recovering and that they're doing well. And it's just, I don't get as many of those great interactions with adults because I do so many kids events, but it's so nice to right. have the, with a, with grownups as well. And it's just like, it just means a lot that, you know, like I can just add a little brightness to someone's day if they're going through something. So yeah, cool. Yeah. That's just, awesome. Yeah. Um, Talk to me about, Linda Carter, like you, you, you said that you've watched the show. I mean, did, was it the character or was it Linda or was it both um, in terms of how they affected you and inspired you? Probably both. I mean, you know, I was a little kid. I wanted to grow up to be really tall and pretty. Now, growing up to be tall was not going to be an option. My dad was <laughs> five, six. My mom is five foot nothing. And it's just like, <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, I grew up in that Barbie generation where we wanted to look, you know, have long legs and, you know, look mm-hmm. like a Barbie doll and which is a horrible thing to think about these days. But we won't go we won't go into that part. But I mean, right, she right. was just like Linda Carter was so she was beautiful, but she was also really strong and she fought the bad guys, too. And I, you know, I didn't know that that was empowering at five because I didn't know what that meant then. But right. I just I I've always like female characters like stronger female characters like i like black widow from oh, yeah. avengers and stuff yeah and I, I do have a black widow cosplay i do cosplay her on on occasions um in summer actually wonder woman's a little cooler because i get to actually wear a skirt wonder woman in the winter time is a lot colder <laughs> you know and i have a lot of layers for it then but um yeah. i've always you know like i love captain marvel i just like these i always like strong female characters i like female music artists and stuff i mean some of them get a everyone's like oh you like whiny girl music i'm like whatever but <laughs> it's i always it's just it 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 you know i like women that can empower other women because mm. you know like having grown up in the 70s and 80s and i you know i used a cocktail waitress in the 90s when i was in my early 20s and is having you know guys like not have any remote idea what color my eyes are it's like it gets mm. kind of tiring and it's like no there's a lot more to me than you know below the neck and it's like come on and it's i like those empowering characters and Mm -hmm. linda carter is an amazing woman and she's really smart and very intelligent and you know she's fairly fairly politically active i do follow her on social media but i don't spend as much time on social media as i used to because it's really nice to detox i'm like i'm (laughs) happier that i don't spend as much time on it but You know, just like she's promoting, you know, LGBTQ rights and women's rights. And it's just all of that's important because she supports humanity. And Mm -hmm. it's like that means more and more to me every day as a grown up, as a grown woman who grew through this. And, you know, like I have, you know, I have a niece who's 14. I have my friends have kids that are, you know, teenagers and stuff. And I think it's really important to have good female role models for the young women in my life. So it's yeah. why I love it. And, and, you know, Gal Gadot is 
also truly amazing. And I have done her Wonder Woman costumes too. And uh-huh. you know, she's she's an, she's another humanitarian. She's a great, just a great human being. And she's also stunning and has legs up to her neck. And yes, yeah. I will never have legs up to my neck. It's okay. I've gotten <laughs> over that point in my life. <laughs> you know, but they the one of my favorite things one of my favorite movie quotes from the wonder woman movie is that gal Gadot says is only love will truly save the world. Yeah. And that is really true. We have to learn to love ourselves and one another because we have to set aside our differences. Cause when it comes all down to it, we're all people. Yeah. You know, yeah. we just have differences, opinions and we look different. I mean, heck I have, you know, teal green hair and <laughs> it's like, you know, what you don't like me because my hair is blue who cares it's not who i am and it's just like i oh, like yeah. i just love how these characters just say be who you are and because you're awesome that way yeah well said thank you yeah little, little tangent but <laughs> <laughs> that was great so um so is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about i have no idea <laughs> um i mean i I personally, um, I love cosplaying and I do a lot of it for charity and try to, you know, collect like a lot of times I'll do donations for other charitable causes and stuff. And I think I I have a lot of friends that do that too. And I have been parts, I have been a part of a cosplay charity group in the past. And I, I feel it's really good to do community outreach and be able to give back. And Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I do know people who are professional cosplayers and that's what they do. That is their job. It's not my job. I have mm. a job I get up and go to every day. Yeah. Well, Monday through Friday. Yeah. And I just, I like it when people can use their talents to give back to the community as well. So I think that's a really important part of, for me, of why I do what I do. It's a way of expressing my creativity because I got tired of making little black dresses because it's mm. like, how many black dresses do I need? I mean, I don't know how many costumes I need either, but you know, yeah. I have more fun doing that. <laughs> um, but I just, I love the fact that I have found a way to be able to give back to the community. And mm. that means a lot to me. Like, you know, just even if it's just a local Halloween event for little kids, I can dress up as Wonder Woman or I can wear the Bride of Frankenstein, which <laughs> I do a lot in the fall, <laughs> um, you know, and it's just, it's so much fun just to be able to see that and to interact with people on a different level. Do I love going to comic cons? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I am extremely fortunate. I am going to be a guest at a couple of conventions upcoming in the next few months. I was a guest at a handful in the summer. I've had a really busy time, but I still always try to do stuff for charity. When I do that, like I worked at a convention a couple weeks ago and we were, me and my friends, we would sell prints for donations and we collected it for a local um, dog rescue in that area. Mm-hmm. I do stuff for local um, veterans charity groups in Southwest Michigan. Cause I think that's a great organization. And um, I've met through, through some of the, the charity organization I work with, I've gotten to meet some really fun world war two vets. Wow. And, and, you know, vets from the Korean War and the Vietnam War. And it just seeing them, it's just really great, especially the World War II vets, because there aren't very many of them left because they're they're much older. So yeah. and it's, yeah. you know, this, their faces and they're like, Wonder Woman or if I'm <laughs> Captain America or whatever. It's just so great and stuff. Yeah. And it's just like 
they're they're a lot of fun they're a hoot so it's just i love being able to use my costuming as a way of giving back to the community because mm-hmm. you know i don't have children um so this way i can help i can make other kids smile so or yeah. kids of all ages <laughs> kids of all ages yes yes because you know lots of people love wonder woman there is no age range on that one <laughs> absolutely yeah um so now speaking of loving wonder woman i do have to say so this is an audio podcast but behind you is a very impressive shelf of all kinds of wonder woman stuff and do you know how many and i i I gather some of these are not wonder woman but how many pops how many funko pops do you have there do you know because that's a lot of pops um you know there's a funko app but i somehow managed to log out and forgot it Uh but i have um it's i have over a hundred and wow i would say probably two-thirds of them are wonder woman because like the 80th anniversary collection was huge Uh oh wow yeah so i have all of that that's upper and that's all displayed together oh and then I have some other ones and there's the new one from the flash, which hasn't been unboxed yet just cause I'm, I need to get some more shelves, but yeah, I buy yeah. figures. <laughs> People give me figures. I'm uh-huh. starting to get very selective. I also have like, you know, like more figurines, like ceramic things. I have those oh, wow. someplace else. And I have like one of the Lego sets. I mean, there is literally wonder woman decoration in every room in my house with the exception of my guest bathroom and my guest room. Wow. Like, I have a giant one woman shower curtain in my bathroom. Nice. You know, like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, I mean, like I said, my doorbell is the wonder woman theme song. It is everywhere. <laughs> you know, it is everywhere. I mean, I even have a few Funkos at my desk at my office, you know? Uh-huh. So it's just like, I mean, <laughs> little one right here. I mean, yeah, I buy them. I acquire them. People send them to me. Uh-huh. You know, it's just like, it's great. I love it. I love it. And when I get, if I get duplicates of a lot of them, I'll donate them to charity, like to Toys for Tots and kinds of things. Cause I don't need three of the same one. So right. I'm not going to be greedy. I share the love. So yeah. Know. Very cool. Fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well, okay. So um, if somebody wants to uh, look you up on the social media, what's the best place to go? Um. Envy the Green Fairy on Instagram. Um, there is no ease in that in on Insta. And then on Facebook, Envy the Green Fairy Cosplay. I'm trying that new threads thing. I haven't quite figured it out. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I'm not on the ticky tacky. My friends right. are trying to corrupt me into doing that. And I'm like, it's a lot of energy. <laughs> so um, yeah, so like Facebook and Instagram are your best places. Um and my email, you can find my email on the social media platforms. If you have questions about costuming or anything, you can reach out to me, reach out to me via the messenger chat, you know, mm. as you did. Right, right. <laughs> so I always answer. Sometimes it takes me a little while, depending on how busy my work day is, because yeah. yeah, I have to do the real work to pay the bills to buy more Wonder Woman crap. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> and I have a lot of it. So. Yeah. 
that, my friends, is Mia, a.k.a. Envy the Green Fairy Cosplay. I'm so delighted to have her on the podcast. Please follow her on social media. All her links are listed in our show notes. That's on our website, WonderWomanWednesdays.com. You'll find all our episodes, show notes, links to our social pages, along with other podcasts that I like to listen to, like MASHcast with the great Rob Kelly. If you love MASH like I do, that is the place to get all the breakdowns. On our website, you'll also find my email link. If you'd like to be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a message. In the meantime, be kind whenever possible. It is always possible.